Welcome to Inspiring People and Places, where we interview national leaders in the architectural, engineering, construction, and development industry in an effort to educate, innovate, and inspire industry professionals to disrupt the status quo, improve their project teams, and steward public and private investments more effectively. I'm your host, BJ Kramer, President and CEO of MCFA. Allow me to introduce today's guest. Inspiring People and Places, we are excited to welcome Colonel Retired Ed Chamberlain to the show. Ed has become somebody that uh, I've run into in the SAME post-USACE ecosystem. Uh, I knew him before I knew him, uh, but we're we're excited to welcome him to the show. Ed, how are we doing today? Yeah, hey, thanks, BJ. I, I, I appreciate running into you in the ecosystem you have described. <laughs> Um, now I really appreciate uh, being invited to this and, and talking with you, and have certainly uh, been amazed that this is episode number fifty-seven, um, and, and all the neat people you've spoken to so far. A lot of people I know well, like you know Mike Ellicott and Duke DeLuca and Jillian Breeden and Kevin Chapin. So certainly honored to be here today. Who's who of uh, SAME is what we're trying for. Hey, that's great. Um, I I'm excited because. You, you bring a number of perspectives uh, to to our audience, um, and and we start every show with, you know, what's your background? How'd you get where you are today? But I want to highlight, you know, right now you're vice president of business development for Prime AE, uh, but you've been in district command as a lieutenant colonel. You had district command or district command as an 06. You retired out of there. Uh, worked with a big business. Went through a, a transition with that big business, getting acquired by a public business, and then uh, now at a medium-sized business. So just to bring everybody in, I, I think Ed's, Ed's background and perspective, which, which really is a rich six years he's been through in this transition, I think lends itself to a lot of lessons learned. So I'm excited to dig in. Uh, but as all stories start, you, uh, you went to college you chose a degree, and and here we are. So, where did it begin? Uh, the passion for the for the built environment, if you will. Yeah. Uh, in high school, I had a, a physics teacher, and I uh, went to uh, high school at uh, T.C. Williams in Alexandria, Virginia, now called Alexandria City High School. Um, physics teacher. I wasn't a great student. Um, it's time to go to college. Went to Virginia Tech. There was no money necessarily for going to Virginia Tech. Decided to apply for an Army RTC scholarship, um, put down English major on the application. <laughs> and my father looked at it and was like, what are you doing? Like, no one's going to give you a scholarship in English. Um, not that I'm disparaging any English majors out there. But uh, so it was literally a five minute you know, discussion in the car. And he's like, you need to put engineering down. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. Kind of like my physics teacher. And that was that was that was the depth of that discussion. And then um, you know, I went to Virginia Tech, graduated as a civil engineer, barely, um, and uh, and went on from there. But uh, yeah, it was certainly a high school physics teacher that inspired me to sort of make that first step. So Army ORTC were commissioned, and what was your first assignment? Did, were, did you branch directly engineers? I did. I did. So. Um, uh, got my my first uh, branch of choice out of RTC. Um, second choice was field artillery, um, for what it's worth. Um, but got engineers um, 
thought I was going to be doing construction, like building roads and things. Um, um, actually, I asked to go to Panama at the time before it closed down, but uh, got my second pick to go to Germany. Showed up in Germany again, thought I might potentially be building things. Um, and we uh, were still doing landmines and demolitions and building fighting positions. So I went into the whole combat mechanized side of the uh, of the army. And in, in, and in short, I served in three battalions and I served in three Corps of Engineers districts um, during my career, which um, gave me a lot of interesting perspectives. Talk to us about when you first trans when, when you first got exposed to USAs. Was that Captain Major time? Yeah, so the uh, the only way at the time to get into a USAS district was you had to come out of grad school. Um, so I, I um, although I'd done a, a grad school thing when I was at uh, University of Missouri at Rolla while I was uh, at Fort Leonard Wood, um, I asked to go to grad school again and luckily got sent back to Virginia Tech for about 18 months, um, got my master's in civil, and then you come right out into one of the districts the time I knew the Europe district commander, a guy named Lee Staub, a mentor of mine, and uh, begged to go to his district. And uh, he was able to arrange it and uh, loved my time in the Europe district. Uh, I served as a project engineer managing a uh, renovation of a barracks and family housing, um, deployed overseas to Iraq and Afghanistan during that time, um, managing construction, leading a Ford engineer support team. Um, I went to countries that my commander couldn't spell, like Azerbaijan, uh, Uzbekistan, and then, of course, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, it was a great time. And I fell in love with the Corps of Engineers at that time um, and really wanted to go back to a district after I left it as a captain, young major at the time. So I, I had a similar story. Gwen Baker was yeah. the Philadelphia district commander when I was at grad school. The command queue was full at the 4th Infantry Division. My brigade commander had transitioned at Pentagon. So the by name request like got lost in the mail. And uh, I reached out to Gwen Baker. I actually reached out to, I think, all of the district commanders on the East Coast to see if there was any USAS positions. And and luckily, BRAC was happening. And she was like, I could really use a captain on the ground. Perfect. And then yeah. went from her to, to Tom Tickner. So I, I thought that was the most, I mean, BRAC was an experience to be around because it was such big programs. Yeah. So many VIPs, so much construction happening in such a short period of time. Uh, but I thought it was invaluable experience. You went, did you, once you were in the USACE world, was that kind of the path or did you go back to a line unit from, from that uh, project engineering position? Yeah, no, I definitely had to go back. I mean, at the time, your career path, if you wanted to get to colonel or lieutenant colonel, you had to do hard S3XO time in a, in a battalion. It was really the only way. It may have changed a little bit now, but uh, but I had no issue. I love serving with soldiers. I, I love leading soldiers. I, I love the combat aspects, uh, especially the demolitions. Um, really loved explosives. Uh, we'll not talk about that today. Um, but um, um, so I went back, uh, went to the 1st Engineer Battalion. I served as the S3 and then later XO uh, of the 1st uh, Engineers when we went back to Iraq in uh, 2006, 2007. Um, so hard time, tough time. We, we cleared IEDs um, and route clearance the entire 15 months we were there. Um, but that set me up well uh, to go compete later for a district command. That when you then... Um 
went to apply to go teach at West Point? I did. I did. Okay. Uh, so, um, you know, while I was serving as an S3 and XO, I was actually, I got an email from the systems department at West Point uh, asking me if they would, uh, if I would consider or would apply uh, for some of the rotational faculty positions. Uh, that was a shock to me. Uh, I was, you know, did not graduate from West Point. Um, but thought it would be an interesting change um, from deploying back and forth. Uh, so in, intellectually, I thought that was pretty interesting thought. So I, I considered it, applied, got selected while I was downrange. Um, and so immediately after leaving the first engineers, uh, went to grad school uh, full time to get a PhD in systems engineering. What, uh, what was systems engineering in your head before you went to that PhD program? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, had no idea. All I knew <laughs> is I didn't have a degree in it. And I'm like, well, if you want me to teach it, I probably should get a degree in it. And they, they agreed. Um, and I thought it was pretty vague. It still actually is a pretty vague um, definition. And systems engineering is really just a, a applying a process and approach to really any problem. And it, it can be math-based. It can be systems-based. It can be management skills-based. It, it can be everything from operations research, which came out of World War II and logistics planning, to human factors engineering and how people are most efficiently integrated into a system. So it's very, very broad. But uh, suffice it I, to say, I, I, I did that for three years, and defended my dissertation, and then <laughs> went on my merry way back into USACE. So, so you thought you were going back to be an instructor. Uh, you got picked for command, and that's when you headed to Baltimore District? Or is that Char uh, Charleston, Charleston District? Yeah, okay. I, I forgot to mention that part. Yeah, So uh, here I am thinking I'm going to go teach at West Point. Um, and I was talking to the department head at West Point at, at the time, Colonel Trainer, later General Trainer. Um, and uh, I was like, well, I have a dilemma. Do I compete for command or not? And if I do and I get selected, do I go teach or not? And he encouraged me to, to both compete for command. And then if I got selected, go command, because that's the best thing for the Army at the time. And I, I very much appreciate it. I, I felt like I cheated West Point on sending me to go get a degree, but um, I absolutely uh, thrived in command, both at Charleston District and then later Baltimore District. So give us a thumbnail on the two different missions, uh, Charleston District versus Baltimore District. What's all going on in those those yeah. core districts for for kind of the lay people that are, that might be listening. Sure, I mean any core district has a sort of area of responsibility, if you will, for civil works, um, dams, ports, levies, and then for military uh, support. Some districts are exclusively one or the other, and some are a mixture. Uh, Charleston's one of the smaller uh, districts within USACE, but had a little bit of everything. Um, responsibility was mainly the state of South Carolina. And the biggest project at the time when I was there was getting the Charleston Harbor deepened uh, to allow super uh, cargo ships, container ships to actually come, un not, not, uh, not restricted by tides into the port. So that was the big thing at the time, although we, of course, supported many other clients. Uh, contrasted the Baltimore district, one of the largest districts, as you know, um, serve uh, within USACE with a vast uh, military and interagency mission, um, which is the majority of the district's work, but a very large civil program with dams, uh, levees, 
uh, at the Port of Baltimore. Um, and one of the things that I find most intriguing is Poplar Island, not in the middle of Chesapeake Bay, which is uh, an island brought back from its extinction, uh, which is pretty interesting. So explain that a little further, Poplar Island, since sure. you went there. Sure. So Poplar Island, it was a, an island complex that was eroded away uh, through coastal erosion, through sea level rise, through you name it, down to pretty much nothing. Um, in around 2000s, uh, it started to be restored using dredge material uh, from the uh, approach channels in the Chesapeake Bay. But uh, the, the island complex completely eroded away in the, around 2000. Um, dredge material was used to restore the island back to approximately 1,700 acres. Um, I think it's well over 2,000 acres now. And it's uh, a, a wonderful example of both an ecosystem restoration project that's bringing back shorebirds and turtles and you name it, um, to also a place to store dredge material. Because when you keep a channel open for all these you know, millions of containers going in and out of the Baltimore Harbor and through the Chesapeake Bay, that material needs to go somewhere and somewhere safe. So anyway, very, very exciting project. There's another project just like that underway called the Mid-Bay Islands Complex in the Chesapeake Bay, which will um, be another Poplar Island success. Nice. Uh, so district size, uh, Charleston District, how many employees? Give or take 250, 300, and, and then Baltimore, Baltimore 1,100. So you're in command. You're at the top of an 1,100-person organization at Baltimore District, and you start thinking, what's next? Is it time to retire? Uh, talk us through that thought process and, and your transition process, decision-making and, and uh, startup. Okay, sure, sure. Um so I, I had uh, I, I knew going into Baltimore District, it would be probably one of the best jobs I would ever do in the Army. Um, and uh, and I, I knew it going into it. I knew it during it. And I know it now. Um, I really did not want to do anything further after a uh, district command because I felt that progressing beyond a district command, I would get so separated from the actual doing um, that I... I was at the limits of what I felt comfortable and, and really enjoyed doing. The, the farther you get removed from the doing, the less satisfaction I really have. And we can talk about that further. But anyway, I, I had a, a scheduled change of command in the morning after three years at the Baltimore District, and I retired that afternoon. Um, uh, I had decided that I wanted to try my hand at the uh, AE industry uh, that also supports uh, you know, Corps of Engineers and DOD clients, and uh, it was a little bit closer to the doing. Um, so that that was sort of my thought process. If that helps. So what that so that's when you joined Lewis Berger, right? <laughs> yeah. So I reached out to a, an Army colleague of mine, wonderful friend and uh, mentor, Steve Hill. Um, I knew a few people by reputation at the company, and. Uh, I didn't really deliberate too much about where I was going to go next. Just figured, well, that's a good place to start. I literally got a job interview set up by him over a text at one of my uh, at my sons. My son was in a race and I was just texting him trying to figure out what I was going to do. Um, and then I had a few interviews with the firm and was excited. Uh, joined them while I was still in transition leave uh, from the Army. 
and was uh, on their books for two days. And then I found out they had been acquired by a firm I had never heard of called WSP. Um, uh, a little, little bit concerned since uh, <laughs> I just made the decision to make this leap, but I was assured that it's fine. Everything's okay. Um, and uh, I actually operated within Lewis Berger for about a good year or so uh, and experienced sort of a midsize um, ESOP employee owned um, type firm and then went into a very large publicly traded AE firm for about another year and a half or so and got to experience sort of both sides of that. What was your job coming out or, or starting up at Lewis Berger? What was the the role that you thought you were taking on? The uh, the the interim role, and I, I'd say this to all veterans transitioning, by the way, is that uh, whatever you're offered initially is not necessarily always intended to be the long term position for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, for ethics reasons, it's probably cleaner not to go directly into DoD work. So um, I, I managed our uh, project managers and construction managers that mainly supported our, our water and wastewater clients um, and our transportation clients. So I, I had a, a mid-Atlantic area responsibility and I was mainly on the operations side of managing projects and project managers, N not a whole lot of business development in that role. Um, but after about six months or so, I moved into managing uh, our secure um, uh, classified work that we did and did both operations and business development while I was supporting that. And then you transitioned from WSP and now your prime AE primary responsibilities are federal slash army business development. Yeah. So in January this year, I decided uh, for a variety of reasons uh, just to really support uh, a growing smaller firm uh, Prime AE is about 15 years old, um, had started as a small business, had graduated um, five or six years ago and and uh, was slow measured growth, but, you know, a company of about 500 people. Um, when I joined Prime AE, I, I went into 100 um, percent solely doing business development and mainly focused initially on the Army. And now I'm focused on all of our federal clients, both DOD and non-DOD. All right. So talk to us. You, you talked about how you get a little further away from the doing and command and, yeah. and maybe in business development, you might be a little further away from the doing. Talk to us about the balance of, of those two things and how it played into your decision making and, and how you, you know, balance it out now. Yeah. So I was pretty passionate and pretty clear when I was leaving the army that I wanted to join a firm where I would have a variety of roles, um, both operations and business development, mainly because I'm trying to catch up with my peers that hadn't served in the military for 25 years, and I need to learn the business and need to learn it quickly. Um, you mean I, you mean commanding 1,100 in the Baltimore District Corps of Engineers doesn't compare to a, a P&L of a, of a small business? Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah, I've got, that's a, that's another good point there. I, I've had pet peeve of mine. People say, "Oh, well, I commanded X, Y, Z, so clearly I'm a CEO of a business." And no, you're not. You're not at all. And you've got a lot to learn. And you really have to take a step back and learn it from the ground up. I mean, so I mean, I I I served as a project manager and a program manager, and then I managed my financials on my projects, and then I oversaw the financials of my projects to really understand a little bit of the business. And by no means am, am I an expert. 
Um, but I, I did insist on having some operations roles and project management roles and business development roles um, because that is the doing. Uh, that That is, you know, for clients of ours, like you say, it's like NAFAC, uh, they depend on us, right, to develop and design solutions and oversee construction for them. Um, and that is the doing. Um, now in a business development role, um, I still interact. I, I sell federal through all of our seller doers in each of our business lines. So I'm still connected to the doing, if you will. Yeah. Uh, although, you know, am I actually in CAD and Revit and, and BIM and, and designing things? No, but I'm a lot more, a lot more connected. And also to the project managers for our federal clients who are desperately looking for assistance. So I like the level that I'm at now. It, am I, yeah. Am I commanding a large district anymore? No. <laughs> Do I have anybody really to help me? No, but, uh, <laughs> that, but that's okay. That's okay. Cause it's a, it's a whole second career and uh, it's exciting. The, you talked about the, the need to have S3 and XO time. And I think that's what prepares you most for, uh, for kind of the seller doer manager role in, in uh, private industry is you're trying to wear all three hats. You're trying to be the commander and, and make decisions but you got to staff everything yourself. The the part I love most about business development is, I mean, I, I'm certainly a relationship person and, and love meeting new people, especially smarter people. Uh, but I love being able to shape the solution because pre-scope of work, you actually get to like tear the problem apart. And I think this is the systems engineer in me is like, how can we do this smartest, fastest, better than just, you know, copy paste the old scope of work and try to exactly. do the same thing again. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where, you know, it, I, I guess in systems engineering talk problem definition stage, uh, that that's what excites me. And then that problem definition can get, get converted into a scope. And then, then you really get to partner with a client to solve the problem together and uh, resource it appropriately or, or bring in the right partners to help solve the problem. I, it was definitely what I was going to comment on is, um, you know, the, the, the jury's out whether or not how successful I really am at, at doing any of this. But the uh, what, what I the part I enjoy is forming those teams and those teams of teams together to deliver that solution. Because, you know, I'm, there's a few firms out there. Maybe they can just do it all themselves. But I know first, personally for the firms that I've been associated with, you can't do it all yourself with honesty and integrity. I mean, you can't do it all yourself. You need all types of firms to really d deliver that full solution under the master contract. And then for that task order, you figure out the right team at that time that has the capacity to deliver that solution. And, and I think that's fun. Um, now, <laughs> is it the, the best thing for revenue always? Um, not necessarily, but the best thing for revenue is to deliver a good solution. If that requires you and five subs, then that's what you do. Right. So, uh, I, I do enjoy that part of it. I'm, I'm working on several task orders today. A matter of fact, that I hope we uh, get uh, finalized before the end of the fiscal year. Um, and it involves many uh, people on our team to do it. Yeah, we'll we'll timestamp ourselves nine twenty nine twenty twenty two. We're yeah, we've, we've got reaching the federal left. fiscal year end. We've got one day left in the year, and there's also a hurricane on top of us. But besides that, we're doing well. <laughs> 
All right. So transitioning from your career path, talk to me about, you know, you, you've, you've worn a bunch of different hats, private, public sector, different levels of leadership and command. Talk to us about leadership and, and, and or project challenges and, and some lessons learned that have, that have served you well in your career. Well, certainly in my, my current role, I have no one that reports to me. And, you know, some that, that may bother some people. It, it doesn't to me at all. Um, and this was actually even true in USACE that there were certain people that did not report to you. They reported other people in the chain. And I've always ignored all of that. Um, I enjoy working matrixed with folks, uh, laterally with people up and down, whatever chain it may be. You're going to say something. Sorry. I, I thought we were going to rail on contracting, reporting to the park for a second, I, I, but, no, but we'll, leave, we'll leave that alone. Well, I, to be honest, that never bothered me. And others, really disagree with that because I never had a contracting officer say, hey, sir, I don't work for you. I, I never heard those words. So I, to me, that's that is actually how I operate in private industry. Um, you know, across my current company, I have seller doers in each of our business lines from transportation to architecture to water, wastewater. They don't report to me, but that doesn't come up in discussion. Uh, what comes up in discussion is, hey, how are we going to do this? How are we going to solve this? And how are we going to do good work that brings more work hopefully in the future so i don't know is there a leadership lessons learned there except that you know you got to be humble um, you don't have to uh, measure yourself about how many people work for you and report to you you measure yourself on what you get done and what you get done within your firm what you get done with your teaming partners that's what matters and so um i think some that transition from great roles great positions of authority may struggle with that. Um, I, I have to be honest that there is a there was a hangover period after I left command and was sitting in a cubicle in DC and, you know, I, I like, what am I doing? But, uh, you know, I, once you embrace the fact that people don't have to work for you to get things done, especially in private industry where everyone knows what's at stake, um, I, I think it's refreshing. I don't know. Well, and it, it lends itself to the partnership standpoint, right? Like you have all these team members coming together, uh, having a collaborative style versus uh, I'm, I'm going to drop the ball on the term, but positional leadership, if you will, right? Like I don't yeah. need a title. I don't need people exactly. to be told they're my direct reports to be able to help lead a solution. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's a great reminder that, you know, you don't you don't have to be in a position of leadership to be leading. Yeah, and you sometimes I find myself leading up too. I mean, you, you have to do that as well. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I mean that, that, that's why you're there. Actually, yeah, you're you're that, trying I mean, to connect the seller doers to the to the uh, resource decision makers and and advise. And you know, it, it gets complicated quickly because. Uh, I mean, another topic we can always talk about is, uh, you know, in our industry right now, uh, is organic growth really possible? <laughs> is, it, is it really possible or is growth uh, really happens through acquisitions? Um, and once you start doing that and you incorporate new firms into your company culture and your workflows and your work process, I mean, who reports to who, who came from where? I mean, all that gets real murky real fast. Um, and the only way to cut through that is just to be genuine, collaborate, explain what you're trying to get done and who you need to do it. 
but coming from a military background, like, oh, all right, you know, what, what's the what's the chain, chain of, of command? <laughs> yeah, who, uh, who's task organized to who? And I'm like, hey, you know, it, it's gray and it's murky, and, and just embrace it because that's that's the it, it, environment we're in. I think anytime you're in growth mode, you're you're in one mega systems engineering problem all the time. That cannot ever be optimized. It will never be optimal. So just just understand 80 percent solutions all you need. That's right. Because if if you're optimized, then you've stabilized. <laughs> and if you've stabilized, you've accepted that you're not growing. And if you've accepted look that at, you're not growing, you. you're shrinking. We brought systems engineering into this. That's great. I've, I've been I've been waiting fifty seven episodes to bring systems yeah. engineering in. Hey, yeah, we're not going to find the optimal solution. We're we're in a total agreement there. Uh, that's a, that's a good topic. Any, any other, uh, leadership lessons or, or any, you know, project, project, uh, lessons? Well, I mean, I just say in the, just stay on the current line of thinking on business development. I mean, business development is, can get into unethical behavior. It can get into compromising integrity. And that's something that I don't do. Uh, I don't team with people that do that. Um, I feel very strongly, especially if I'm selling back to clients, organizations that I used to be in, uh, I feel I'm very passionate about being very clear what your capability is and what it's not. And, you know, if you find some others to fill those gaps so you can say you can do it all under the sun, then then that's great. That's the name of the game. But the other is that when you win work, you have to be able to perform that work. And so I, I found in, in business development, there's that ebb and flow of not enough work, too much work, not enough people, too much people. And as you know better than I, you make some very difficult decisions when you have not enough work and too many people. And that was even true in USACE. Uh, and you, you had the three-letter word of RIF and um, production and force in, in USACE. It's very painful in private industry when you have to tell people that do great work that, hey, I, 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 I don't need five of you. I only need two. Um, and that's really that's really difficult. So that ebb and flow, even from my business development standpoint, I know that there is a time when you win too much work and you have to have the people to do it. And you have to be open and honest with your clients about that same thing. And again, is that the best thing for your bottom line? I don't know. In the moment, maybe not. But having that honest, ethical relationship with your clients, I think, is the best thing for your bottom line. So that, that's just something that I wrestle with. Um, I, and I communicate that to my clients. And I hope they believe what I'm what I'm saying. Well, I, I mean, knowing you, I, I think, you know, one, you, you've always come across completely genuine. And I think that that does come across as you build relationships with people. I, my question though is, uh, Prime AE is a private equity partnership with a original small business ownership model. Is that a fair way to put it? Yes. Um, in that model, you can take a little bit more of a long-term view than what would be what I, my perception never being on a public company side where every quarter you're being judged on, on you know, what the market is telling you you're worth. Um, and to your point, you know, we're always stretching and, and I think the optimal solution is to always be operating at like 107% because then you can have just in time hires to grow just enough and, and, 
you know, coming up with the right pace when you have, you know, a a very competitive and complicated market that, you know, is dictated by political funding streams and all that stuff. I mean, we can, we could really go deep dive there, but just curious if there's, if you felt a difference between large public business and, and getting beat over the head with Excel spreadsheets is the, is the saying I've heard um, versus. I think you get beat over the head about (laughs) metrics at any place you go, both in uniform and out. But, um, but there is, there is a different, there's a different climate. Um, And again, no expert only have three data points to make this conclusion, but I would agree with you. There's a little bit more tolerance for, long-term growth versus immediate uh, bottom line delivery uh, in our in the current type of firm I'm in. But I and I also agree with you that the you know you can't just say, well, I've got X amount of capacity and so that's all I can sell to my clients is you you need to sell a little bit more so that you do continue to grow. Because um, growth isn't only about growing EBITDA and profit and Net revenue growth is about attracting and keeping your quality people, um, developing better solutions for your clients. But if you grow too quickly and you become a chaos inside your firm and you can't even measure and, and take care of your quality, well, that, that's no good either. Um, so um, that whole give and take is an interesting problem. Um, but it's one that if you try to perfect it, as we talked about prior, you'll drive yourself crazy. But I like that dynamic, oddly enough. Uh, yeah. That, that dynamic of, of delivering on what you promise, but continuing to grow, um, selling something that you either know you can do or believe you can do in the future. It's just, it's interesting. I, I agree. And I, I love that you pointed out that growth isn't, I, I have to say this and I hope that my team hears me when I'm saying it. Growth isn't about, you know, the bottom line or, or higher profitability. It's about diversification. It's about growing career paths because at a big firm, you can see the 10 people ahead of you or, or the career paths ahead of you in a smaller firm. You're kind of creating that. And, yeah. and I need to be able to take a project engineer to become a project manager and then backfill that project engineer. And it, you want to be able to provide those career paths to people. Um, and, and it really stabilizes the growth trajectory over time. Inspiring People in Places is brought to you by MCFA. MCFA is a CVE verified, service disabled, veteran owned small business. At MCFA, our why is to inspire people in places through project leadership. We provide planning, strategy, program management, and construction management support services to a wide variety of public and private sector clients. All right, moving to more of a a rapid fire question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Favorite quote? Okay, so none of these answers are going to be great ones. And so I'm going to give you that caveat up front. Um, but uh, so I, in college, as a senior, I was asked what my favorite quote is. And I didn't have one at the time. Um, so I made this statement. It ain't where you're from. It's where you're at. And that is, uh, is from uh, one of my favorite rap groups from the 80s, uh, Eric B. and Rakim. Um, and so that's what I gave at the time. And that's what I'm giving now. All right. I like it. Must read book. <laughs> All right, the other failing of mine is I don't read. Um, <laughs> I, I read internet and Twitter. 
Um, and it's, and I'm not proud of it, but I have, I do have a, a, a friend of mine. Um, I, it was actually a family friend of my father's a guy named Gene Gibbons. And he just wrote a book called breaking news, six presidents, the queen and a Pope. So he was a reporter that covered the white house for six presidents. Um, and he worked with my father who was a radio reporter for United press international. So when he wrote this book, I, I had to read it because he actually tells some pretty <laughs> damning stories about my father. So I thought it was pretty interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, since we're on six presidents, you're involved in Society of American Military Engineers. You've been around the the engineering or public engineering space. Any any issues across the country that you're you're passionate about or involved in? Well, I mean, I, I will add as a transitioning veteran. I latched more into SAME than I ever had while I was in uniform. And I supported SAME greatly while I was in uniform, but mainly from my position, not really from myself as a person, if that makes any sense. It does. But you do find yourself going in a private industry that your position doesn't give you everything that your position in the military may, may have given you, if that makes any sense. So I used SAME and got more involved with SAME as soon as I went into private industry. And that balance between SAME, your professional life, and then a lot of my professional life in SAME intertwine in the business development world, um, that's been very satisfying. So I, I've, I've taken more leadership roles and leadership and mentoring roles uh, within SAME to give back. Uh, the other is that also it helps my, my current role in business development. Outside of that, um, I believe that uh, the AE solutions, the, the design efforts that we have give back to improving our infrastructure, whether or not that's a military installation, that's a water water uh, utility, like uh, here locally with the Washington Aqueduct. Um, that, that's something that we need to give back to. The lack of investment that you and I have talked about before in our infrastructure is very frustrating. I mean, what you see happening in Jackson, Mississippi right now with you know, folks that have been under boil water warnings for months, if not longer. Um, and it's, you know, it's decades of lack of investment in, in water infrastructure. And, and that, that stuff costs money. And, you know, it's hard to tell people, well, this is where your taxes go. Or it's yeah. where it should go. And, you know, everybody wants to be bailed out now. And they likely will in Jackson to fix it. But we saw it before in Flint, Michigan. It happened in actually in D.C. Uh, D.C. had a horrible lead uh, problem here locally. So is that something I'm actively working on a solution to? <laughs> no, uh, not yet. But that's something that that does bother me because it's it's not just our water infrastructure. <laughs> I mean, pick pick anything. I mean, you know, we, well, we've seen several bridges fall into rivers over the past. So, And, and maybe you can comment on it because you've got. You've got engineering or technical solutions that we deal with, but at, at a district command level, you you obviously were exposed to both the economic and political side of how programs get funded, how projects yeah. get prioritized. And I, I, I'm a big proponent that like we as an industry need to do a better job of making the front news, not when a hurricane hits and we're recovering, but when we're, when a project that we did as a nation or that we invested in our infrastructure that stopped some sort of damage or improved some way of life. Yeah. You know, we, we did so much infrastructure spend in Iraq to, to help improve the quality of life and, and quote, win the hearts and minds. And I think 
you know, you look at Jackson and I don't think the norm, the, the, the average American can understand that like clean water, we don't have clean water. And I don't know how we do a better job of, of storytelling or getting that out. Yeah. I, I mean, even here locally. So here in DC, I mean, there's billions of dollars that have been invested in the clean rivers program. So there's tunnels underneath DC that I'm not sure everybody's even tracking uh, that have been constructed for better part of the last decade to capture combined sewer and stormwater. And when they overflow, um, it, it's not pretty and it dumps into basements, streets, and our rivers. Um, that investment has been made as a huge success. But does anybody talk about it? Not really. No. Yeah. Uh, no, they, they don't. It is a it also contributes to a very expensive water bill if you live in the District of Columbia. Um, so that is aware of. But yeah, you're right. I mean, unfortunately, we respond to crises, disasters, um, and we repair infrastructure when it costs 10 times more than it would have if we just maintained it. But, um, that is the nature of the world we live in, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think we can change it. Um, I, I believe. Um, Move into another question: Dead or alive? If you could hang out with three people for a day, who would you? Who would they be? What would you do? Oh, I dreaded this question as well. Um, <laughs> so, not to go political on here because I've spent vast majority of my career being apolitical, and I, I guess I can be now. But uh, uh, Barack Obama, I'm a huge Barack Obama super fan, and, and again, not really for the political reasons one would think but just for the boundless optimism. I, I really thrive under leaders both now and when I was in the military, people who are optimistic, upbeat, um, inspiring, and hey, what's the solution? How do we fix it? And not everybody would agree with me with this one person, but to me, I'd love to have a one-on-one -on -one to talk about, all right, what are we going to do next? Uh, I just, I like that style of leadership. It's one I try to emulate. Uh, the other two are not as significant or, uh, or uh, thought provoking. Uh, Bill Murray. I, I love Bill Murray. Uh, <laughs> when I was stationed in Charleston for two years, you know, he would pop up at different bars and locations and at you know, the uh, River Dogs, the local uh, baseball team. And he's just hilarious. It's just, he's a funny guy. Um, and then along that same line, I used to listen to Eddie Murphy comedy tapes nonstop as a kid, which was probably bad, but I, I did. <laughs> I loved to meet it Eddie Murphy. Shaped who you are. I, I just, I, I can't tell you how many times I used to listen to the cassette tape. Listen to me, please, <laughs> of, of Eddie Murphy. Uh, legacy. How do you want to be remembered? What do you want on your tombstone? No, oh, God, I, I want neither. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I've got nothing deep there either, except that I, I hope that I'm known for getting things done. Um, I get self-worth out of getting things done and I don't want to talk about it and I don't want to, you know, agonize over it. Let's just get things done and, you know, let's get it, get it done so we can move on to the next thing. Um, I, I am a huge 80% solution type person. I am a get a B. You don't need to get an A plus type person. Just get it done. Bs get uh, degrees. Have, uh, and C's do too. Uh, <laughs> a test, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm about. It's what I get motivated by, and um, being part of teams to get things done. You've you've been around. You've seen what's going on in the industry. Our audience is is diverse from recent graduates to 
you know, senior public professionals, anything you want to share with the industry to close us out? Yeah, I mean, the uh, in the industry, something that uh, I enjoy is I do leverage the veteran network. Um, and all of us talk to each other about when we have a problem. And yeah, we represent our firms at the time, but we also represent veterans. And sometimes it's not necessarily in the best interest of your firm, but it's the best interest of serving a client. I enjoy that. I hope that continues. Um, it's very helpful. And the other is that it, it feels it might sound a little cheesy, but I do see our role in the AE industry supporting DOD clients as continuing to serve. Now, are, are we serving with multiple you know, motivations behind all that? Yeah, probably. But I still see it as a way to give back. Like USACE and NAFAC can't do what they need to get done without hiring AEs and general contractors. I mean, they just can't. Um, so we're part of that solution and, and uh, I, I enjoy that. Is it easy <laughs> as you and I both know? <laughs> no, not at all. It's very hard. Um, a lot more difficult than I had ever imagined, but um, I do see that as another way to serve. So I hope others appreciate that. Awesome. I appreciate that perspective and I hope uh, I hope our public sector folks can, can appreciate somebody who's been on both sides and, uh, and can share that perspective. Colonel Ed Chamberlain, thanks so much for your time. And never call me Colonel again. It's just Ed. <laughs> thanks. It's been All great. Right. Thanks so much. Awesome. Till next time, everybody. Uh, have a great week and a great weekend. Hey, everybody. If you're enjoying this show, do us a favor and subscribe to Inspiring People and Places on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast hosting platform. We'd also greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this with other entrepreneurial public servants and all your friends and family in the AEC space. Be sure to visit our website, www.mcfaglobal.com. Sign up for our newsletter to stay in touch with us and learn about all of the projects and clients we're helping. Last but not least, we are hiring. We are always hiring. Do us a favor. Take a look at what jobs we have open. Contact us through our website or connect with me on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and a great weekend.